0: You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. So we're continuing this series, Hard Sayings of Jesus, only, like I said, this Sunday and next Sunday are left. And what we're looking at, what we have been looking at are these difficult sayings that Jesus, these teachings... That Jesus had while he was on this earth. So some of these are hard to understand, where we don't know exactly what Jesus is saying, but we just know that there's something going on, so we wanted to bring clarity to that. Uh, for some, it's a hard pill to swallow, meaning it is very difficult to hear, as you know, even today is one of those, where it's just hard to, man, it's just a hard teaching. It really, it really makes you think twice about whether or not following Jesus will be worth it. And then the third one is that it is sometimes just hard to follow, meaning it's easy to understand. It's easy. It's not the hardest teaching, but maybe it's really hard to follow as we looked at on resting in Jesus. And so uh, before I was a lead pastor, I was a youth pastor at a church in the Woodlands. And uh, part of you know a lot of youth kids would come in and out. I was you know there's a quite a few schools represented in our youth group, and so what we would do is we would gather. Uh, we have Sunday services, but then we would gather in homes, uh, in like a small group style. And and so we would I would have to have some sort of like game because we're trying. There's usually new kids that would come, and so we're trying to get people to know each other. Uh, and so we would play silly games just to kind of break the ice, or our little icebreakers. Uh, but also, like I said, it was a way for some of these games for kids to get to know each other. So one game that we always played was, or quite a few times, was Two Truths and a Lie. I'm sure y'all have played this game before, right? Uh, and so Two Truths and a Lie, right, where you say three things, and they have people have to figure out what is the lie. And so sometimes, right, you can fool people. You can say super simple things. They're like, there's no way there's a lie. And then you can make this extravagant lie but it's actually the truth and they're like what tell me more and so then you get to know people on a little bit better basis Uh, and so for instance if I was playing today I'll tell you three I'm not gonna tell you which is which you can ask me later Uh, but here's my two truths and a lie one I was banned from a casino two Chuck Norris once touched my shoulder and three I can drive a manual car Once again, I'm not going to tell you which is the truth and which is the lie, but today we will be looking at this passage, and there are two lies and one truth, two false things, but only one real way. And so the whole premise of this passage is really, if you if you if you're looking at this and you're studying it, is really is in chapter seven. It's almost like verses twelve through fourteen are like the first bookend, and then twenty-four through twenty-seven are another bookend. And so what they do is they show us the true way, but in between is where we're gonna see the false way, the two lies, the two false things that jesus is pointing out here in this passage and so we will be jumping around some we won't be going exactly in order and so let's just start by reading today's passage we'll start in verse 12. so whatever you wish that others would do to you do also to them for this is the law and the prophets enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock Jesus is right right out the gate verse 13 enter by the narrow gate I, I touched on this a few weeks ago but really what we're pointing out what I'm trying to point out to you in uh, this series really is this understanding that it is a narrow way that the life of following Christ is not going to always be easy it's going to cost you it's going to cost you people it's going to cost you your dreams it's going to cost you financially, it's going to cost you in every single way possible. But the reason that it can cost us everything and those who follow after Jesus can be sold out for him and be willing to pay it all is because we understand that there is an eternal reward waiting for us, right? Is that we understand this is not our home. We understand, right, that this is not our final home, but rather is that we are storing up treasures in heaven. And so one of the questions somebody asked me one, was in the way that I spend my time, my money, and my resources, am I building God's kingdom or am I building my own kingdom? Right? In the way that I spend my time, my money, my resources, am I building God's kingdom or am I building my kingdom here on this earth or someone else's kingdom? Right? All of my time, all of my money is spent building somebody else's kingdom rather than God's kingdom itself. And so that's what this what Jesus is talking about is that it's a narrow way. It's not an easy way, right? He says himself right, the gate is narrow and the way is hard. That leads to life. You Sometimes you think, right, that that Christianity is supposed to be just this easy thing, and yes, Jesus does talk about how his yoke is easy, but the, the rub, right, the problem is that we are still in this world, and we are still surrounded by people of this world, and we're still surrounded by the sin nature, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh. We're still surrounded by these things, and that's what makes it hard, right? It's not that Jesus's teachings are difficult to follow it's that we are being held back by our love of this world that we don't want to let go of that we don't trust is actually worth letting go of and so jesus here is is helping us to understand because there are people right the first false right that we're going to see is the false prophets right these false teachers who come in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves See, I've told you before many a times, but there are many teachers who call themselves pastors, who call themselves ministers or whatever else they want to call themselves today and are not true pastors and teachers of the word. Right. Because a false teacher, a false prophet will want you to change nothing in your life. they don't want you to change anything they don't want you to fix anything give up anything they don't want to tell you verses 14 that the way is hard that leads to life that it's going to cost you they don't want that right right because it is easier to just come in and tell you that God loves you and God is only love and he doesn't want you to get rid of sin in your life Right? Instead, they will, by cunning words, give you a different interpretation of the Bible that is not held by the historical beliefs of Christianity, meaning. People today will have this new teaching, this new truth, this new way that just changes the whole paradigm. And it goes against all of these thousands of years that we have had the same beliefs as Christians. And yet they suddenly, because it sounds good, because it costs you nothing, is that you are willing to give up following the hard, narrow way rather than you're willing to not, or not go that way and instead follow the easy way. You see, a false teacher's sermon is all about you. It's all about making you feel good. It has little to do with God and what Jesus did on the cross for you. A false teacher's sermon will make you the hero of the story. A false teacher's sermon will not challenge you to repent of anything in your life, but give you justification to live how you want, when you want, wherever you want, and never tell you to change anything in your life. A false teacher is in love with this world and not the next. You see, there are many, many up-and-coming preachers, right? You can, uh, down in Houston, there was one guy, his name was Jeremy Foster, and was pastoring one of the fastest-growing churches in America in Houston. It went from a college ministry of about 800 people to running close to like 10 or so thousand, many campuses that were going on. And his teachings were very, he was in many churches. You can search Jeremy Foster. They probably took him down, but you can search this guy, right? But the thing is what Jesus' teachings, right? What Jeremy taught on stage didn't sound false. It didn't sound rough. It didn't sound like a narrow way. It didn't sound, it looked pretty. It sounded pretty. He was a funny guy. He had a lot of illustrations. It was easy to understand, but yet, right, what Jesus says came true in Jeremy Foster's life. So every, uh, it says, our grapes, uh, you will recognize them by their fruits, right? And so later on what comes out, right, was a a immoral affair that he had going on with another lady. And so the church, all these people just ended up leaving, going to another place, or maybe not going to a church at all. And why do I say this? Like, oh, I can't believe you called him out by name. No, no, no. I need you to understand that there are people on YouTube, people on Instagram, people on Facebook that have the name pastor, but have no sort of care for your soul. All they want is their their platform to grow bigger and bigger. Why? Because they are in love with this world. They're not in love with with the kingdom to come. Because another way you can indicate, it's not always true because there are false teachers who will talk about sin and repentance 1,000%. But another way you can tell a false teacher sermon is when they never will call something sin when the Bible is very clear that this thing is a sin. They will say, well, I'm talking about God's love. I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about God's love, God's love, and yet never call anybody to understand that their lifestyle, their way of thinking is anti-God, anti-Christ. And so because of that, they're not following the true way of Christianity. And so how do these guys, how do these guys get such big followings? Because many people who profess the name of Jesus do not know the word of God. And so they hear a sermon that sounds good, feels good, it's wrapped really pretty, and yet it is completely anti-scriptures. But because they worded it in such a special way, you fall right into their trap. And then you start to re, almost rewire your whole belief of Christianity because you're not in the word, but rather you never miss one of their sermons. You're not in the word, but you never miss one of these podcasts. You're not in the word, but you never miss one of the newest books that they're putting out. You see, if you watch some YouTuber, you read some sort of Christian book or book written by a Christian author or hear a sermon that seems good and catchy, you must test it to the word of God. You must go back and say, this is great. This sounds great. I want to change my whole life by this teaching. This one phrase that this person said sounds great. But then you must go and line it up against the Bible. The Bible is our standard. If then it seems to line up with the Bible, then. So if the teaching then lines up with the Bible and it sounds right, right. Then you line it up with the historic Christian faith that has been existent for thousands of years, 2000 years and then you figure out whether or not this should actually be what you believe. Because, right, as Jesus says in this passage, right, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what does Lord, Lord mean? What is Jesus saying here, right? This is the second false, is that there are people who profess the name of Jesus and they may not be a false teacher or a false prophet, but really they think that they've been following God and Jesus all along, but in fact, they haven't. Why? Because they said, Lord, Lord, but yet as we'll see, if you go to verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see, that's the key to this passage. That's the key to following, to being a true Christian believer is this, is that you hear the words of Jesus. You read the words of Jesus. You get to know the words of Jesus, and then you don't just hear it and read it, but rather you actually do what Jesus tells you to do. You give up what Jesus tells you to give up. You sacrifice what Jesus tells you to sacrifice. You do everything that Jesus calls you to do, and that is the narrow way. That is the way to life. That is the way. But rather, right, is we instead say, well, if I don't know, if I don't read the whole Bible, then I don't have to believe the whole Bible. If I don't read through it at least once in my life, then God won't hold it against me because I don't know his words, right? And that's not against God. That is on us, right? Because we have so many things that we spend so much time reading, whether it's articles, whether it's posts, comments, news, magazines, whatever it is, we have plenty of time, but rather what is that we don't have a love for God that truly satisfies us. We rather want to find satisfaction in the things of this world because the Bible is just too hard. It's just too difficult. You see, the problem where in my experience in counseling people and just talking to people about Christianity, the Christian faith, there's usually a, I tried Christianity, but it didn't work out, right? I tried that whole Jesus thing. I tried that whole being sold out for Christ. I tried, I tried, I tried, and it just did not work out. But you see, the problem is that many people think they have followed Jesus, but that's not the case because Christianity isn't a system that works or doesn't work depending on the person it doesn't it's not like some things like some people are excused from some teachings of Jesus because of the way that they grew up or the things that they went through no 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 it's like regardless right christianity is a lifestyle it's a continual following of Jesus it's a continual dying and denying yourself dying to yourself You see, you can't say Christianity never worked out if you never really follow Jesus' teachings. You can't say the whole generosity thing doesn't work out. You can't say the whole denying yourself doesn't work out. You can't say any of that if you've never really truly followed the ways of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. Because then people who don't know the teachings of Jesus, right, the teachings of the Bible, or, but then people don't know the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the Bible, because they've never read it, right, and that's a lot of times our excuse, you see, or our excuse is we don't understand what we read, or it's boring, right, I've I've heard that a lot, right, is, I try to read the Bible, and it just doesn't work out. I try to read the Bible, and it just seems boring. I try to read the Bible, and I don't understand what I'm saying. And, and, I've, and I was right there with you, right? Like many years ago, and even now, there's still parts of the Bible I don't understand. But yet, there's parts that you have to, the, the Bible, right? I've told you this before, but the Bible is meant to be read over and over and over and over and over, and over again. It's meant to be read over and over. And the more that you read it, the more you understand it. You see, in, in the excuse of it's too difficult or whatever, or it's boring, it, it reminds me, I was, uh, there's a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary by uh, a lady named Tish Harrison Warren. And she says this, she says, while my husband Jonathan was getting his PhD, he got to know a former Jesuit priest turned married professor a holy man, a provocateur, and a favorite among his students. Once a student met with him to complain about having to read Augustine's Confessions. It's boring, the student whined. No, it's not boring, the professor responded. You're boring. What Jonathan's professor meant is that when we gaze at the richness of the gospel and the church and find them dull and uninteresting, it's actually we who have been hollowed out. We have lost our capacity to see wonders where true wonders lie. We must be formed as people who are capable of appreciating goodness, truth, and beauty. And so, what she's saying in this, in this, what the professor was saying is that we have been so desensitized, numbed, hollowed out by this world, by the nonstop, the infinite scrolling of social media, just never ends. The, the infinite of, of entertainment at your fingertips, right? I like think about how, like, my son, you, you know, will watch dinosaur shows on Netflix or whatever, and as soon as it's over, right, he just wants the next one. He's like, hey, fix it, fix it, fix it. I'm like man, remember the day whenever it was like three minutes of commercials that you couldn't do anything about, and yet now it's just a click of a button. You can skip the opening credits. You can skip to the next episode. Like, everything is so much at our fingertips. And what this has done to us, though, is that it has desensitized and hollowed us out to not be able to sit in the Word of God and find goodness and find joy and find pleasure in it. Like, I know whenever I'm not able to sit in the scriptures for a good while and read and read and read. I look at my life and I have watched more Netflix. I have watched more Amazon Prime. I have watched more YouTube. I have spent more time doing everything else but the scriptures. And then I wonder why I can't sit for five to 10 minutes and just sit in the word of God. It's because I have been hollowed out. The Bible is not boring. We're boring. The Bible is not without wonder. We are without wonder because we have lost the sense of of truly getting to know an infinite God by just sitting and opening up our Bible and reading what he has revealed about himself to us. There's a movie um, that I've seen a few too many times, and it's called, I think I've told you before, it's called Ready Player One. Uh, I grew up with video games, so it's very nostalgic for me. Uh, But every time I watch, every time I watch this movie, Uh, my affections for Jesus are stirred. So I'm not saying, hey, if you want your affections for Jesus, go watch. No, like the Holy Spirit just used this movie to stir my affections for Jesus. So if you don't want to watch it, that's fine. I'm not telling you to watch it. But in the movie, um, it's all about, I'll try to explain it. Bear with me. There's a good point to this. But in the movie, it's all about this virtual reality that was created called the Oasis by this guy, um, name I can't remember well, wow. but anyways everyone finds their true identity in this oasis right just a virtual reality you put on the headset you can be anything anyone you want any character any height any look any shape any anything you want you can do it you can go ski like on the pyramids of Giza you can go fly an airplane you can go become a superhero like you can do anything you want in this oasis sounds like a really great place because you can be whatever and whoever you want, right? Which can be said for social media today, um, right? You can look Christian online, but not in person. Anyways, the founder died, not a spoiler alert. Uh, it wasn't a spoiler, but anyways, the founder dies in the, sh- in the movie and he leaves what we call Easter eggs, right? These clues hidden behind in order, if somebody finds it and finds the clues, then they're able to take over the oasis and become like a trillionaire and all this stuff. And so in this in this um, in this movie, right there's this archive that opened up called Anorak's Almanac. And so let me read. Um, so the the main guy, his name is um, called Bob. And so Bob, he says this: Whenever I got bored, I would pull up Anorak's Almanac in my while he was at school. And I would pull it up a window on my display, and I would read over my favorite passages to pass the time. Over the past five years, the almanac had become my Bible. Like most books nowadays, it was only available in electronic format. But I wanted to be able to read the almanac night or day, even during one of the stack's frequent power outages. So I'd fixed up an old laser printer, to print out a hard copy. But the almanac contained thousands of references to Halliday's favorite books, TV shows, movies, songs, graphic novels, and video games. And so what ended up happening, what's going on? I know you're like, I'm so confused. The clues were in what he left behind. So Halliday left all these clues, every movie that he watched every video that he watched, every book that he read, every single article that he had read. And so what these people did is they took all of their time, all of their effort, and they studied every single thing about Halliday where they could argue Halliday's favorite food, Halliday's favorite movie, Halliday what he did on the weekend of this, this, and this, of what he said about this, his understanding of this. And so they were so well versed in Halliday's thing, right? And then it makes me sit back and wonder, Right with everything that God has left me, how well do I know him? With everything that God has left me in the scriptures, do I know the sea, the name of the sea that he walked on? Do I know the name of his disciples? Do I know how many fish he served? Do I know what he said to Peter Right when he first met him, do I know what he said to Andrew? Do I know what he said to John? Do I know what he said in the garden? Do I know the the things that Jesus revealed about himself in the Old Testament? Do I know what Joshua did after the walls of Jericho? Do I know where David was hiding whenever he was running away from Saul? Do I know where Goliath was from? Do I know these things that somebody in a fictional story in a movie know everything about, right? Like medical students will get to know and memorize so many things as they're trying to become a nurse or a doctor, right? You'll memorize, you'll learn so many different things, right? Many of us can quote tv shows and movies by heart from the office friends your favorite movie you can quote it over and over and over again you've done research on your favorite authors you've done research on your favorite artists you've done research on all of these things and you could tell me about your the things there's something in your life that you can tell me about for hours and hours that you love and yet my question to you is can you do the same with jesus Can you do the same with what God has revealed about himself in the scriptures? Can you quote the scriptures as much as you can quote your favorite songs and your favorite quotes from movies and TV shows? Do you know Jesus' teachings? And this is why Jesus is saying, right, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them he who was built whose house is like built on the rock and so we wonder why every single time our faith gets tested we get rocked and we get dropped to the floor and we wonder why christianity doesn't work and many people aren't who aren't even here today have given up on christianity because they said they tried and tried and tried but really all they did was they said Give me the things that I want to hear and I want to do, and you can keep the rest to yourself. Why? Because God is love, and he wouldn't call me to give up this lifestyle, give up this sin, and call me to repentance because that's not who God is. Obviously, we will never fully know God, but as he has revealed himself in his almanac, the Bible, how well do we know him? How can we follow and obey if we don't know the scriptures? How can it become familiar if we've read it once, twice, or less than 10 times in our lifetime? There's a group of people out in the world called centennial readers, where they have a play, a book, or something that they've read over a hundred times. And every time I hear that, it just challenges me deep within, like, how many times have I read the Bible? This thing that I say I've given my life to, that I've said I've counted the cost for, that I've said I want to devote everything to, and that I'm excited to see Jesus in heaven. And yet, deep down, it's like, but do I really know Jesus? Do I really know? And we're like, well, the Bible, is just boring. It's boring. No, it's that we have been trained by this world to find things that are boring to find to be pleasurable and the things that are supposed to be pleasurable to find boring right it's the old C.S. Lewis quote where he said that we would rather instead of the kid taking a vacation at sea and enjoying the beach and making sand castles and playing in the water is that he is more satisfied with going to make mud pies out in the the mud closer to the sh- or closer to the parking lot it's like we are so willing to, to play and devote our life to things that are pointless, have no eternal value. And yet the things that have all the eternal value, knowing the word, doing the word of God, knowing Jesus, right? John seventeen three tells us that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, how can we have a solid rock foundation for life if we're not using what God has given us? How can we stay rooted and grounded? Why do we feel washed away with every wind and wave because we aren't following what Jesus told us? Right, there's parts of your life that God has been trying to get you to give up, sacrifice, surrender to him for many years, many months, many weeks, And yet we ignore it because we have our minds set on this world. And if we actually surrender to God, then it might actually cost us our kingdom here. The reason I say we is because this sermon convicted me so much. Because his word isn't always hidden in my heart. I don't delight in his word day and night. I'm right there with you. But then as I think about what life has thrown at me, I'm just like, man, like, am I preparing myself for the future? Am I preparing myself for what is coming, the deaths that are coming, the trials and sufferings that are coming? And yet to be able to just know Jesus and know his word that in the midst of suffering, I can bring to memory many verses that remind me of who God is. That in the midst of trials, I can be reminded what James and Paul said about trials. That as I look at the life of Jesus, right, that he was this. That everything his father did, our father in heaven, everything his father wanted him to do, he did. And there he found life. There he was able to endure the worst suffering ever because he understood The joy waiting for him. Knowing we would experience that same joy. So what will Christ say to you when you stand before him? Will he say, I never knew you? Will he say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness? There's a quote by a pastor named Vodi Bakum, and he says this: Hell will be filled with people who didn't drink, didn't cuss, and may have even been baptized. Why? Because that's because not one of those things makes someone a Christian. Not one of those things. To have eternal life is to know God. And then these things will filter themselves out. So all I'm, all, what I'm pushing you to today is this. Is that if you actually know Jesus. And you spend time with Jesus. And you get to know his words. Your life will then look like the life that Christ died for you to live. But if you only think about the things that you don't do. And don't have to do. And you try to like build up this debt of. But God I did this and this and this. Then. Just like the scriptures say, God, I prophesied in your name. I went to church. I prayed for people. I gave money when I had it. I didn't cuss, and if I did, you know, I prayed really quick, God. I didn't cheat all my hours at work, just some. I didn't, I didn't look at porn. I didn't do this, so like, come on, like, you got to let me in, and yet he'll say, depart from me, for I never knew you, because we thought it would be by our works that got us there, but that's not the gospel, right, that's not the truth, that's not the good news, the good news, right, is that if we confess our sins, we repent of our old lifestyle, we believe in him as the only way, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant, we cannot earn our salvation. The goal is, as Paul says, to know Christ and him crucified. And so once again, do you know Jesus? Kids will read their favorite books over and over again and memorize it and, and they watch the same shows. Like Elisha can just listen to the soundtrack and he knows what's going on. He'll reenact it. But yet... Do I see God's word as worth my time that feeds me or have I been hollowed out? Have you been hollowed out by the ways of this world that you don't find joy in the scriptures? Because if you don't find joy in the scriptures, then that is a big indicator that something is wrong. Really. If you have no pleasure in reading the Bible, that is a big indicator that something is not as it should be. Because this word is what's supposed to be feeding us, giving us our life, reminding us of God's promises. There is no excuse. Audio Bibles, people can read it to you. You can read different versions. But do you know Jesus as he has revealed himself in these words? Can you quote scriptures Can you tell people the goodness of Jesus because you have just been sitting in it? And it just, the way that you see the world is just through the lens of the Bible. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying Him and making disciples who make disciples.